0: Thank you, Stephen, Amanda, William, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, We are glad to be celebrating all the moms in the room. We're going to have a time to be able to do that at the end of the service uh, as well. But welcome, especially if you're a visitor or a guest here with you, or you might be with your mom uh, or celebrating with her today. And so we're glad that you've joined us today in worship. Uh, Hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go ahead and jump into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 is where we're going to be in just a minute. uh, As we're continuing our sermon series on the secret of marriage. The vast majority of us are going to either are married or will be married at some point during our lives. And so it's important to be understanding, okay, what is marriage? But we're we're finding out just a a lot of things, not only for, for married folks, but for all of us that the Lord wants to teach us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 is where we're going to be in just a minute. While you guys are turning there, let me ask you what seems like it's a simple question, but maybe not. it doesn't have a simple answer. What is the purpose of marriage? We've already found out that God has invented it. He has given it to us as a gift. But, but what is the point? Like, like, what is the purpose of marriage? When we, we think about why would you want to get married? Why would you, you go through with marriage? Why do you stay you know, faithful in marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? And look, if we went around the room, I'm sure we get a lot of different answers to that question. But in America, you are probably going to get one answer more than any other. And it might have been the one that you thought of. And it would simply be this, marriage is here to make me happy. That is what marriage is for, right? I mean, this is what we grew up with. This is what we were told. This is what we were taught. I mean, think about uh, all of the fairy tales that you and I heard when we were growing up, right? At the end of the story, the prince and the princess get married and they live happily ever after, right? I mean, they're, they're happy. I mean, that's kind of the point. They live happily ever after. That, that's the goal. There's, there's all this wedded bliss, right? You think about, uh, you think about the, just the wedding ceremony, right? It is a party. It is a celebration. You have found the one, the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. People shower you with gifts. We have dancing. I mean, it's, a, it's exciting. I mean, it's joyous. It's meant to be happy, and look, this makes sense to us because this is baked into our culture. It's baked into our society. Think about the Declaration of Independence for just a minute. If you don't know any line from the Declaration of Independence, you probably know at least one. And it's this, that, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. that We've been endowed by our creator with certain inalienable, inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's quite literally baked into our country, into the DNA of America that says, listen, you ought to be happy. And so when it comes to marriage, this is one of the defining ideas that we have that we most of us bring into marriage, whether we'll say it or not, is that marriage is supposed to make me happy, which begs a separate question. Okay, what do we mean when we talk about happiness? If marriage is supposed to make me happy and that's the point, okay, then what do we mean when we say happy? Does that mean feeling good all the time? Does that mean excitement? Does that mean fulfillment? Does that mean joy? Does that mean accomplishment? I mean, what does that, what does that mean? Can you have different versions of that? Does your happiness have to be the same as my happiness? Is it the same for everybody or not? You might say, well, Adam, it doesn't matter. You can make up whatever definition you want. What, what you can, but, but this is an incredibly important definition, because if your idea is that marriage is here to make you happy and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a season of marriage or a season in your life where your marriage is not making you happy, where it does not feel good, where you are, you, it is not doing what you expected it to do, that can lead to disappointment and disillusionment. And sadly, many marriages have been just, just shipwrecked on the shoals of that very same disappointment and disillusionment we have to be aware of these ideas what do we think marriage is actually for look we've been learning something over the course of this series that there's a secret to marriage and it's this marriage is about the gospel and the gospel can help us understand our marriage God has given us marriage on purpose, but we've already been, been learning this. He says, I'm doing this for, for those who are married or not. I, I'm giving you a picture of, listen, this is the picture of how I love you, of this incredible relationship that I want to have with you. Marriage is going to be this, this kind of humanity-wide object lesson that, that helps you understand how I feel about you and also the kind of relationship that we can have. And so marriage explains the gospel. It helps us understand it. But the flip side is also true. When we understand the gospel, that can help us in our marriage. That can help us live in our marriage. It can help us understand our marriages. And so this morning, if we're asking the question, what's the purpose of marriage? What does the gospel actually have to say to us? What does the gospel tell us about the purpose of marriage? And that's why we find ourselves in Ephesians 5, verse 25. If you've been tracking with this the past few weeks, we actually looked at this passage a few weeks ago. We didn't go in depth, but at the end of this passage, Paul spells it out. He says, listen, this is a deep mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is this mysterious picture of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride of Christ. That's all of us as believers. Not just here in this congregation, but all true believers around the world. We are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. So this is the mystery that he tells us. And you see this happen in verse 25. He starts by talking to husbands, but then he quickly just jumps into the gospel and look what he says. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's stop right there. So he gives us this quick idea of a husband's need to love your wives, and then he can't help it anymore. He just, he jumps straight into what Christ is doing for us. How Jesus loves us as the church. And look, I don't think we can really get over that picture, can we not? I mean, this is a beautiful picture. I don't know how you think about God. I don't know how your relationship is with him. But think about this. God baked this into humanity from the very beginning. He says, I need you to understand just how much I love you, how much I care about you how I'm going to give everything for you. How I don't want you to have a, an arm's length relationship with me, but I am drawing you close like a, like a husband and wife that we, we united together. It is this deep, intimate, joyful uh, relationship that God wants. This is how God feels about you. This is what he desires from you. And that's not just for the the, the chosen few, the the missionaries or the seminarians. He said, no, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a part of his bride, this is the type of amazing, joy-filled, intimate relationship that God wants to have with you. I mean, that alone ought to send us into, into songs of praise for who he is and what he's doing in our life. This love is amazing. But when you look at verses 26 and 27, he then gives us, the purpose behind marriage. We're gonna read them again. I don't want you to notice three, no, one word three times It's the word that, all right? So it really means so that. All right, so he says he loves us. He has saved us. Why? Well, he gives you, these are purpose clauses, so that. And look what it says in verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify her, Having cleansed her by the washing of the word, um, washing of water with the word, so that he might tr- present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any, any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Three different purpose clauses, where he says the exact same thing. He says one thing three times. And there's a couple things you ought to note about what he says. I hope you notice this, but happiness is not really mentioned there. Did you catch that? He doesn't mention happiness at all. It's implied in the earlier love portion. But when it comes to the purpose of marriage, he doesn't mention happiness as like the reason, the thing he's driving at. Instead, he mentions something different. He talks about sanctification. Look at verse 26 and notice what it says. It says, so that he might sanctify her. It's a very specific word. And the word sanctify means to make holy. You take something that wasn't holy and you set it apart. You consecrate it. You make it holy. So it wasn't holy before, but now it has become holy. You have sanctified it. All right, look at the next so that in there. It says that that he might uh, cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word. He might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. All right, so now there's a cleansing happening. So you're having something that was unclean and now we're gonna make it clean, all right? So there's been a cleansing, a washing of water with the word and now there's cleanliness. There's no spot, there's no wrinkle, there's in, no such thing. And so there's a cleansing. Again, you see this sanctification. And then in verse 27, he just says it plainly that he might present to the church himself um, or into, into the verse there, that she might be holy and without blemish. So again, sanctified. I'm gonna take something that is unholy and I'm gonna make it holy all right so here's what God is doing in the church here's what he's doing in us he is sanctifying us he is taking a people who are broken and sinful and he is making us holy this is what God has already done and this is what God is doing but this is his purpose in salvation remember marriage is explaining the gospel and vice versa so he's saying look just like I'm doing in salvation I'm doing in marriage but this is true for everybody for everybody who is a sinner I want to make you holy I want to sanctify you I want to I want to change you so that you become like me the purpose of our salvation is sanctification now, look, we got to go into a mystery and a mystery. We're going a little inception here for a little bit, all right? Because there, there's, there's a mystery deeper inside this other mystery here. Uh, and it's the mystery that this has both happened and it is still happening. You might have heard it described this way. There's a, a tension between the already and the not yet. When it comes to our salvation, two things are true. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in him, you have put your trust in him for salvation, two things are true. You have been saved and you're still being saved. And those two things are happening at the same time. You have been saved already and you're still being saved, not yet. And you actually see that in the tenses of these verbs in these couple of verses. Because they kind of switch here and there and it helps you understand that this is something that has already happened and it's something that is still happening. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been saved, period, end of story. You are born again. All of your sins have been cleansed. You are completely clean in the sight of the Lord. This has been done. You have been washed with the water of the word. That is the gospel. You heard the word of truth. That you and I are saved not by our works, not by what we do, but by what he has already done. We don't put our faith in what we can accomplish. I put my total faith in what he has already accomplished. And when I give my life to him, my old life died and I was born again. And if you're a believer, so are you. That is a done deal. This is how God sees you in him. We're gonna have folks get baptized in the second service today. They'll be wearing white robes as we, we always do. It's a picture that this is how God sees you now. You are completely clean in his sight. You have been justified in him. Furthermore, your future is secure. You are going to live in him forever. You are going to have a future in him forever. That is secure. You do not need to worry about it. Your past and your future are completely and totally secure. It's a done deal. It's over. It's done. You are saved. But in a very real sense, you're still being saved. Because what do you do with the present? My past and my future are secure, but what about now? What about the place where you and I live? Well, in the place we live now, guess what? We're still being sanctified. Because look, I don't know if you admitted this lately, but we're all kind of still messed up. Have you noticed that? Look around the room. We're not okay, all right? I know you smiled at everybody, but we all see it, right? We're not okay. We have issues. I have issues. You have issues. We're not okay. God is still in the process of sanctifying us, of changing us. Look, I'm already saved. I'm justified in him. But God is now doing the work of cleansing us, of changing us, of literally making us more like him. That is the process of sanctification. And and look, I'm not doing this to to make sure I keep my salvation or or, or to prove my salvation. No, no, I I grow, I change. The the Lord makes me more like him because I am saved. And so these two things are happening at the same time. I have been saved, but I also am still being saved saved. And it's important that we understand this. Uh, Just as believers, let me show you a few verses where you can see this. You can kind of see this in-process thing happening. Here's John 3, verses 1. This is actually 1 John 3, verses, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, 1 John is what I was looking for. 1 John chapter 3. That was my fault back there. Here's what it says in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, now we are the children of God we have been lavish with the love of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But in verse three, he's gonna say this. He goes, everybody who has this hope that I'm gonna see him as he is, I'm gonna be like him. Everybody who has this hope purifies, him, uh, purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a process going on. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this is second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Now did you catch that? We are beholding the glory of the Lord. We're saved, but we are being transformed from one degree to another. You see the process? It is still happening. Here's is Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, look at this, day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Day by day we are being changed. Day by day, even though outwardly we're wasting away, I am growing in my spirit. All right, and then finally, uh, this is Philippians chapter one, verse six. Paul says, "And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus." You got all of them there in one verse. All right, he began a good work. That's my justification, I am saved. He's gonna bring it to completion. That's my glorification. Then what is the work he's doing in the middle? That's our sanctification. I am saved, but I am still being saved. This is what God is showing us about our salvation, whether you're, you're married or not. It's a process that is still happening. Okay, so now let's ask a very important question. Does sanctification make us happy? Does the process of sanctification make us happy? Well, it depends on your definition. If your definition of happy is that you're gonna feel good all the time, then no, it doesn't work that way. Sanctification is not gonna make you feel good all the time. It just doesn't. But here's another reality we need to come to grips with. There is nothing in all of this broken world that will make you feel good all the time. Nothing, not a single thing. Think about it. Anything that can make you feel good, it can't make you feel good forever. Guess what? Spending wildly makes you feel good. It does. Try it sometimes. Maybe not. But listen, try it. Look, you just want to spend all your money. Buy whatever you want. Spend wildly. It is fun. It really is. Filing for bankruptcy, not so much. Not nearly as fun. It's not. And that is what will happen. If you spend wildly and you don't think about this, you will have to file bankruptcy. That is not fun at all. Look, drinking can make you feel good for a time. It can. It can make you feel very good. But if all you do is say, hey, I just want to feel good. Let's continue this. What you're going to end up with is not feeling good all the time. You're going to end up with addiction, liver failure, DUIs, and you're going to wreck your life and everybody else around you. If you just say, no, no, I gotta keep the high going. I gotta keep this feeling going. I just wanna feel good all the time. There is nothing in all of creation that can help you stay on that high 24 seven. If your definition of happiness is I just wanna feel good all the time, you are always going to be sorely disappointed because there's nothing in all of creation that can give you that. But sanctification actually can make you happy. The right kind of happiness. Happiness. You see, in scripture, we see a different kind of happiness. It's not American happiness. Uh, It's what we would call blessedness. God says, I want you to be blessed. Now, look, I know we throw that a lot around a lot in the South. How you doing? I'm blessed. All right, we say that a lot. I get that. All right, but but I mean, what do you mean? Do you just say that? It's just like, do we do it like grace at the table? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean we say blessed? What does that mean? All right, it's it's, it's makarios in the Greek. It's a very special word, uh, but it's not like American happiness. It's not just, woo, I'm feeling good. All right, this is, it's more of just, I, I am blessed. I, I live in the joy of the Lord. And look, this is what God has for us. He says, I want my joy to be, be in you and that your joy would be made full. If you have my life in you, you would have life to the full. You can be blessed, but that doesn't mean you just feel good all the time. Both Jesus and the disciples after him found themselves in terrible circumstances, and yet they were still blessed. They could find themselves rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of pain, they were blessed. They had this life, this joy really, a true biblical happiness underneath all of those things. But it did not mean that we were just feeling good All the time. And so what the Lord is saying is this. He goes, listen, the purpose of salvation is that you might be sanctified. That you might be holy. And the end result of that process is, yes, you will be blessed. You will enjoy me. You will have full life in me. This is what God is offering to us. And so when we seek after holiness, we find true biblical happiness. Happiness. So listen, that's your salvation. That's everybody. That's all of us regardless of your marital status. And so now let's apply that gospel truth to our marriages. If marriage is about the gospel and vice versa, okay, then how do those truths now teach us about our marriage? We go back to our question. What's the purpose of marriage? Well, look, we've just found out, if your picture of marriage is that it's just supposed to make me feel good all the time, it's supposed to make me happy, okay, then you're going to be wildly disappointed in your marriage. If your expectation is that that, that marriage is just going to make you happy all the time, feel good all the time, it's always going to be great all the time, you are going to be disappointed. Why? Because that's impossible. It really is. There's a few reasons why. Number one, no one person can complete you. I don't care what Jerry Maguire said. They can't. They can't. If you're looking for a soulmate, who's going to complete me. It doesn't work that way. No human being can complete you. Do you know why? Whoever you end up with is a sinner. And they got the same deal. (laughs) Because they ended up with you. And me. Look. No person can complete you because they are not complete in and of themselves. This is not going to work. And, 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 if you could just possibly found yourself in a place and said, nope, I found it. This is great. We are perfectly compatible. This is awesome. It can't last that way. You know why? Because we change. You can't lock that in. You keep growing. We get older. Things happen. You change. Your spouse changes over time. You change. And and if you try to lock it in and say, nope, we got to keep everything exactly how it is so we can hold on to this. It can never change. You can't do that. And so invariably, you're going to lose that initial feeling or a certain season of feeling. Here's the third thing. We found out about this last week. Uh, Families typically lead to, marriages typically lead to children. Most families lead to children. Okay, well, when you bring children into the mix, things have now altered radically. Because you were no longer simply a husband or a wife, now you're a father and a mother. And now you have dual roles, and you have to sacrifice, and that's going to change how you you give, it's going to change your your time, it's going to change your relationship to each other. And if you have more children, that changes the dynamic even more. And look, sacrifice doesn't always feel good. When you have to sacrifice your time, your energy, your, your priorities for, for the sake of your, your wife, your husband, your kids. Okay, that's not fun. It doesn't feel good all the time. It's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do, but, but it doesn't always feel fun. And so look, if your expectation is, nope, I'm going to find the right person. And if I find the right person, then we are going to be in married bliss 24-7. I'm going to feel good 24-7. And if I'm not, then I got a problem. I just got to find somebody else. If that's your picture of marriage, you are doomed from the start. Now look, some of you don't believe me. You don't. I can see it on your faces. You're like, nope, nope, nope. Adam, you're just, you're a terrible, you have no romance, no romance in you, right? You have lost that loving feeling, all right? Listen, you can't, you just don't get it. But Adam, I have not lost that loving feeling and Adam, I will find it. And look, I just, listen, if I didn't, look, I thought I found the right person, but I'm not happy anymore, so I just need to find another right person. Because if you find the right person, the love won't go away. If you find the right person, it'll all go fine. If you find the right person, you're going to feel good 24-7, and you just got to keep looking until you find the right person. That's what society taught me. That's what all the songs taught me. And if you just find the right one, it will work out. No, it won't. It won't. It will. Out of my goodness. You're such a killjoy. Listen, it doesn't. I know what the song said. I know what they said. But like, think about it for a second. Listen, we all listen to the same songs growing up. We all, just famous songs. Remember the Beatles songs? All the love songs the Beatles did? She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Right? All you need is love. Na, 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 na. Remember that? Here's the deal. All the Beatles got divorced. <laughs> Every one of them. Every single one of the Beatles got divorced. Do you, do you remember this song by Captain and Love, love will keep us together. I don't know why I'm doing the Stevie Wonder thing, but here's the thing. <laughs> I saw, it felt right in my mind. I just realized I'm doing Stevie Wonder. Why am I doing Stevie Wonder? All right, here's the thing. They sang Love Will Keep Us Together. Spoiler alert, it did not. <laughs> Captain and got divorced. Love did not keep them together. It didn't work out that way, right? Eagles fans, again, Eagles fans in the house. Eagles, right? When you're hungry, love will keep us alive. Until they starve to death. (laughs) Because almost every single member of the Eagles, past and present, has been divorced. It didn't work that way. And then probably one of the most famous love songs of all time, you got Whitney Houston, who would just belt down, And That's all you get. Look, I really wanted to play the clip for that one. I said it would break YouTube. We couldn't do it. We don't have the rights. <laughs> I couldn't sing the notes after that. All right, here's the deal. She said she'd always love Bobby Brown until she divorced him. Didn't mean it. It doesn't work that way. You see, want some more modern? How about more modern, right? Taylor Swift, right? These songstress for love songs, killing it on the Eras Tour, just broke up with her boyfriend, boyfriend of six years. Boyfriend, what about all the love songs? I don't know. Not anymore. Doesn't work. Remember Nicholas Sparks, the guy who wrote The Notebook and all those books? Divorced. Do you see where I'm going with this? They lied to us. (laughs) The song sounded great. They did, but if you took away from those songs, listen, when you find the right kind of love, it is just going to be untold, 24-7 bliss. You'll never have problems, which means if you've got problems or if you've got issues, cut and run, be done. It is over because your expectation is that it ought to be just completely great all the time. That is simply not true. And you will destroy your marriage if that's your expectation, if we assume that's what this is, that's what this is supposed to be. When you seek happiness first, that is a death sentence for your marriage. If you seek happiness first, that is a death sentence for your marriage. Now, some of you have been going, I am so glad I came to church on Mother's Day. What a downer. <laughs> what are you doing? Dude, this is terrible. What are you, what, be like a happy day. What are you doing here? You just said that I'm not gonna be happy. Nope, not what I said. I wanna be very clear. I didn't say you weren't going to be happy. I said, when you seek happiness first, that's going to destroy your marriage. Instead, Jesus has something different to show us. That's what he's trying to show us in this passage. Because yes, I want to give you this joy, but there's a different path that brings this to you. And it's this, when you seek for holiness first, that's what can actually lead you to happiness. Because the purpose of your marriage is holiness. The purpose of your marriage is to help make you holy. The purpose of your marriage is to help you become more like Jesus Christ. Remember all the so that's? This is what he's doing. He goes, I saved you. I cleansed you. Why? So I could cleanse you. I could make you like me so that we could live together forever. But there's got to be this transformation. There's got to be this cleansing that takes place. The purpose of your marriage is not simply for us to be happy. The purpose is that it would make us holy. We are learning how to live in relationship with the Lord. We are learning how to have a relationship with him. And when we understand that that is the purpose of our marriage, something amazing happens. Listen, through all the ups and downs of your marriage, you find blessedness too. Not American happiness, but you find blessedness. You find a joy even in the ups and downs. You find a joy that can be a current through all the hardships of uh, of 30, 40, 50 years of a relationship together. Uh, Something that that, that doesn't come and go with your circumstances or come and go with your feelings. You, You get this blessedness underneath it. But if you flip it and you say, nope, I want happiness first. Not only will you not be happy, you won't end up holy either. Search for happiness and you get neither. If you search for holiness, you get both. And God wants to give us both. So how would that change the way we view our marriages if we understood that God has a purpose? The purpose of of living 30, 40, 50 years with somebody is that we would grow to be like the Lord. This is a a place where I can learn to love like Jesus. I, I can actually grow and become more like Jesus. There's a purpose behind marriage larger than simply my good feelings in the moment. And so I'll give you three things that, that might change, three things that we can do. If that's the, truly the case, where, where God wants us to be holy and thus bring us true, deep blessedness, okay, happiness, the, the biblical happiness, okay, then how, how should I react to that? The first thing is this, we can embrace hardship instead of resenting it. We can embrace hardship instead of resenting it. In any marriage, there are going to be ups and downs. You are going to have ups. There are going to be incredible times. There are going to be joyful times. There are going to be exciting times. Those are going to come, but they will inevitably be hard times as well. This is why when you took a married vows, remember what we said. We said for better or worse, right? For richer or poor. And then we said in sickness and in health. And we said it's not just for the good times, but there's also going to be bad times too. But the commitment is for all of them. The commitment is for, for, for all of these things. There are always going to be hardships that occur in any marriage, things that maybe you foresaw, but usually things that you could not foresee. It might be a diagnosis you weren't expecting. It's an accident, right? It's a, it's a, it's a change in your job or a change in the culture. It's a pandemic. It's, it's something. There are going to be things that, that kind of come at your marriage that you say you were not prepared for. How do you handle that? Because remember, if the whole goal is happiness, then what we might do is instead of growing through these seasons, instead of becoming more like Christ in these seasons, we just chase after the happy. We just think, "Well, well, look, but if I could buy a lake house, it'll make everything fine. If I could just remodel the kitchen, it'll all be fine. If we get out on a vacation, it'll all be fine. If we could just make more money, it'll all be fine. If we just live in a new neighborhood, it'll all be fine. If we could just have better friends, it would all be fine. If I could just have this thing, it'll all be fine. And we could just have this idea. If I could just change this other thing, if I could get this other thing, then we'd be happy. And many of us in this room, you have means and we've been getting those things for years and ask yourself, did it actually make you happy? Does the new house make you happy? Does the new countertops make you happy? Did the vacation fix everything? Does the new car, the promotion, whatever it might be, great as those things are, did it actually give you that lasting happiness? The answer is no, because it can't. It can give you brief happiness, but it can't give you joy. It can't give you blessedness. What, what if instead of trying to paper over everything and trying to, try to, try to feel good at every point, I recognize that God can give me something more stable, more solid. I can say I am married. God has given me a lifelong covenant with this person. right? So there's stability there that can that withstand all the ups and downs. And here's the even better thing. God's doing something in this trial that will make me more like him. God's doing something in this season that is making me more like him. And that is immensely valuable. More than simply feeling good, growing to become like Jesus, growing to, to be like him, that, that is worth, it's worth more than gold, than much fine gold. It's your faith refined by fire through these seasons, through these trials. And they're temporary, by the way. If you're in one of these trials right now, please let me tell you this, it's temporary. I know it doesn't feel that way to you because sometimes they can last a year, two years. This is not like two days, I get it. It can last a little while, but it's temporary. We go through seasons in life, but in this season, God's not simply here punishing you. He hasn't turned away from you. He says, no, I'm, I'm using this to help you become like me. What would happen when we, if when we faced a, a trial, we simply said this, God, how, are you? how do you want me to, become more like you in the midst of this trial? How, how can I become more like you in the midst of this season? How, how do you want me to react? What, how, how do you want me to grow? What are you showing me about myself? What are you showing me about, about life or you? God, how do you want me to become more like you in the midst of this season? I don't have to resent all the hardship. You, you can actually embrace it. You do not have to enjoy it, by the way. I don't enjoy hard seasons. I hate them. I beg for them to be over quickly, just like you do. But if you look back on your life like I do, have you noticed this? That some of the hardest seasons of your life that drew you and your spouse closest together? Have you noticed that? The things that you hated, you would never have wanted in your life, you look back on and say, man, look what the Lord did to actually help me, to actually bring us together in the midst of that trial. God's moving. God's moving. Because his purpose is not simply for us to feel good. His purpose is our holiness. He is helping us to become more like him. And the more we become like him, this is what leads to the greater joy. This is what leads to the greater blessedness, that biblical happiness that he wants for us. And so what if we didn't resent the hardship, instead we embraced the hardship? Here's the second thing. You can embrace growth instead of resisting it. You can embrace growth instead of resisting it. You see, when you live in a, a marriage, it's a, a little scary um, because we read that verse. It said that the two were naked and they were not ashamed. Most people were married, they're, they're naked and we're just all ashamed, right? Um, but because this person sees all of you, not just physically, but they, they see your personality. They see you 24 seven. They see the good and the bad. They see the greatest things you've done and said and also the worst things that you've done and said. And that's painful. So much so that you might hide and say so I, I don't want to be fully real. I don't want to be fully myself. You might not even want to be fully real to yourself. You want to ignore those things. You want to hide those things. You don't want to look at it because I, I don't want to admit that I'm not okay. L- look for all of us in marriages. We all have room to grow, do we not? We do. We all have room to grow. There are two words we all need to learn when it comes to our marriages, and they are these: I'm sorry. You have to learn to say that a lot. A lot. Because you will have a ton of reason to use them. I had to say it yesterday. Because I made mistakes yesterday. I will make more this week, most likely. I'm trying not to, but I can't totally prevent that. Why? Because I am still a work in progress. And so are you. When it comes to our marriage, you and I, we're, we're works in progress. Your wife, your husband, your spouse. They married a work in progress, which means we have to grow. We have to change. We can't just say, well, here I am. Don't need to grow. Well, here I am. I'm good. We got married. So I'm good, right? We're just going to lock in forever. This is, that's terrible. That's a terrible way to live. Can you imagine that? Well, we had a kid. I'm a parent. Don't need to learn anything. We got it. Got a kid now. I'm just going to be good. Let's just wing it. We'll see what happens. It's a terrible way of Parenting. Same thing with your marriage. You don't do that when you get saved. Well, I got saved. I'm all good. I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come back. Eat some potato chips. Just wait. Just sit here. Don't have to do anything. I'm saved. There's people who think this that way, by the way. You just get saved, and and that's just it. That's the gospel. You got saved. I'm good. I just wait. No. God saved you that you might be sanctified. He is changing us. We are works in progress, which means we need to recognize, hey, I, I, I need help here. I need to admit when, when I make mistakes. And you might need help. That may be the help of a Christian brother or sister. It might be the help of a pastor. It might be the help of a counselor. It's the help of somebody around you or maybe multiple people around you who can point you back to Jesus Christ and says, man, you are great, but we gotta work on this. This is a sufficiency in your life. This is a place where you're not like Jesus Christ. You see, marriage is that crucible where the Lord uses marriage to help make us more like him. But that means we have to change. I wonder if some of you have found yourself in a place where you knew you needed to change and you just didn't want to talk about it. Sometimes this is guys more than ladies, but I've seen it happen with everybody. Where you find that there's something you need to change, you're like, nope, don't want to talk about it. Hey, you want to talk to somebody? Nope, I do not. Hey, maybe we're we'll going to talk to your friends. Nope, not going to do it. And instead of embracing change, you resist it. You push back on it. You say, nope, I don't need a change. They need a change. They're the wrong one. Well, if they change, maybe I'll change. I'll think about it. That sounds like a wonderful way of fixing your marriage. Good luck with that. What if you and I recognize that we're works in progress? That we're in the process of being sanctified. And yes, I need to grow. Yes, I need to change. Over the course of your marriage, you need to change. You must change that we might become more like Christ. This is going to make you more loving. This is going to make you more holy. It's ultimately going to make you more happy. If you actually say, no, I need to grow. I need to change. This also helps me recognize your spouse is a work in progress too. Oh, I know. No, no, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Your spouse is a work in progress too. When you start with yourself and you say, man, I am a work in progress, it helps us to have patience with our spouse to realize they're in progress too. Their issues are probably different than yours. And that's okay. We all bring different things into our marriages, but God's working on them too. And so I need to have patience for them as God is working on them. I'm asking God to work on me that together we might become more like Jesus Christ. And so I don't want to resist growth. I want to embrace growth. Here's the third thing. We need to ask for help from the Lord. If we know that holiness is the main purpose of our marriage, there's something we need to recognize. We can't do that. I can't make myself holy. I cannot. As a Christian, I cannot make myself holy. I can't. Only the Lord can do that in me. Now, I have to follow him. I have to obey him. I have to walk in him in order for this to really take root and to work. But ultimately, uh, for all the things that I do, I cannot change myself. Only the Lord can change me. And so I have to ask for his help. Father, I need you to change my heart. I need you to help me. I'm following you. I'm surrendering to you. I want want to, to honor you in all things. But Lord, you have to change me. And the same thing is true for your marriage because you cannot change your spouse. You cannot fix them. Now, we're going to stop for one second on that one, all right? Because I need you to think about this for one second. Do you believe that statement, you cannot fix your spouse? Don't say it out loud. You might lie. Do you believe you you cannot fix your spouse? Because here's the deal. If you don't believe that that is true, you will resort to manipulation or being passive-aggressive. And it will ruin your marriage you'll resort to manipulation or you'll become passive aggressive because deep down you think, no, I can't change them. No, I can't fix them. No, I'll make this right. And we can't change anybody. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord can do that. Here's the great news though. He wants to, he really does. He wants to help you. He wants to help your spouse. He wants to help both of you become more like him. And remember, he has a vested interest in this. He bound you together. He invented marriage. He put the two of you together. He bound you with his spirit. And he says, I want to help you. I want to encourage you. And when you turn to me, I will help you. I will encourage you. I will empower you to do what you cannot do on your own. That is amazing. And if that is the case, then praying for our spouse ought to be the number one thing that we do. Praying for your husband or wife ought to be the number one thing that we do. Not just simply trying to fix it, not simply trying to work hard, not simply trying to do better, but to pray for our spouses and say, Father, please help them, help me, help us, because we need your power. We cannot do this on our own power, but in your power, we can. This is a supernatural thing. If praying for your spouse ends up being like the 45th thing you do in a week, what it means is you don't actually believe that God wants to help you. That's what we mean. But when I truly believe this, wait a minute, God gave me marriage that it might make me holy, that ultimately that might lead me to true, deep happiness. Okay, great. Uh, Father, help me with that. I want to encourage my my wife, my husband. I want to encourage my spouse to, to, to really make sure that they grow in the Lord. I'm going to point them towards Jesus, towards obedience in Jesus. And to that end, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to do my best to reflect Christ to them, to walk in obedience, to admit when I fail, but, but, but I want to point them towards Jesus and I'm going to faithfully pray for them and ask the Lord to help them like I'm asking him to help me that together we might become more like him. When we understand that purpose, that's when things begin to change. Slowly at first, but over time, there can be change or each part of that marriage becomes more like Christ, they become even closer to one another. As they become closer to the Lord, the Lord brings holiness, sanctification in your lives, which ultimately leads to the happiness that we're all desperately in search of. You can have that when we follow the true purpose that God originally intended. So do this. one. bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Stephen, the team's going to come and lead us in a song that we know. And he mentioned this before, but look, I've talked to a few people as well who struggled in the midst of this series. You might be in one of those hard seasons in your marriage. Or maybe you're just coming out of one. Maybe you feel like you're going into one. It's temporary, but that doesn't make it any easier now. And you might find yourself playing, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. And you're right, you can't. It's a supernatural thing. But I wonder if maybe the Lord is opening us up today just to say, look to me. I, I gave you marriage on purpose. I can do what you can't and I want to help. So let me, seek me first. My kingdom, my righteousness, my holiness First. Let me move in you and change you. Don't resist the growth, embrace it. Let me do my work in you. And I will change you for the better. Regardless of how your spouse responds, I will change you for the better. That you might have that blessedness that I made you for. Follow after me. From wherever you are this morning, we have an opportunity just to respond to the Lord and say, God, yes. Yes. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You've been doing the kind of church thing, but you've never surrendered to him. You never put him first. Maybe today's the day you do that to say, God, I need you first. Maybe you're in a crisis and you've been trying to fix it on your own. And you say, no, I can't do that anymore. God, I choose you first. Maybe we've just been resentful and bitter and disappointed. Maybe it's time to ask the Lord to to move and to help us with that. It may not go away immediately, but, but turn that over to him and say, God, help us and see what he will do. He is the God who brings life from death. He brought you together. He can keep you together. And through that, he's going to point us towards a deeper walk in him. And so Father, help us. Thank you. We love you. For every marriage in this room, Lord, I just pray that you would be the one to, to give us a, a power, a perseverance that, that quite frankly, we don't have. Give us vision to, to maybe see a little more of what you're doing to give us hope. God, that we might put our hope in you, not simply uh, the, the person that we married. Because Lord, by ourselves, we're not gonna make it. But in you, we can. For five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50, it's possible in all the seasons to grow and to change and become like you. And I pray that, Father, you would help us to do that. And we will glorify you in how you shape us and change us through our marriages. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.